on today's episode of Must Rewatch TV. I search for extraterrestrial life but don't need the help of the United States Congress to investigate their existence. No, I join Special Agents Fox Mulder and Dana Scully as they tackle the Monster of the Week storylines and alien conspiracies. But I stay clear of the cigarette-smoking man and, like the lone gunman, stay off the grid. In doing so, I rewatched the important X-Files episode that started it all. That's right, I rewatched the pilot. Sure, I could have easily chosen many different episodes, but there is only one that I nostalgically and emotionally wanted to dive into. Chris Carter's show is a classic and deserves far more credit than it often gets. It's the gold standard for episodic monster episodes, season-long arcs, and cliffhangers that leave you feeling drained. Regarding science fiction television shows, The X-File is easily sculpted into Mount Rushmore. So, save a spot by the bubbler and join the rewatch. Agent Mulder, I'm Dana Scully. I've been assigned to work with you. Oh, isn't it nice to be suddenly so highly regarded? So who did you take off to get stuck with this detail, Scully? Actually, I'm looking forward to working with you. I've heard a lot about you. Oh, really? I was under the impression that you were sent to spy on me. If you have any doubt about my qualifications or credentials... You're a medical doctor. You teach at the academy. You did your undergraduate degree in physics. Einstein's twin paradox, a new interpretation. Dana Scully's senior thesis. Now, that's a credential, rewriting Einstein. Did you bother to read it? I did. I liked it. It's just that in most of my work, laws of physics rarely seem to apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Must Rewatch TV. I'm your host, Zach. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is great to be back. Another episode, the 21st episode. Oh my goodness, where has the time gone? Where has the damn summer gone? It is the first full week of August when I am recording this right now, and I just cannot believe how fast this summer has gone by. I mean, just the other day, I was at my first ever Comic-Con. I went to Fan Expo in Boston, had a fantastic time, and I still, to this day, I'm over 40 years old, can't believe that's my first true Comic-Con experience, but it was just so cool to be able to walk around, see all the cosplay, the vibe. It was absolutely amazing, and the Funkos. You guys probably already know from my Instagram account how much I love Funko Pops, and so I was there, and yeah, I was able to purchase a Funko Pop that is related to the episode that I'm focusing on today, and the show that I decided to watch is one of the most Zack shows out of any of the shows that I have covered so far. Don't get me wrong. All the shows that I have covered so far on this podcast are shows that I absolutely love. This show, though, compared to all the shows that I have talked about so far, is the show that taught me how to enjoy television. It taught me what I like. It taught me how much I love science fiction, how much I love drama. The show that I've focused on today, The X-Files, is my happy place. It's just a show that I remember and think about with such incredible nostalgia. And so the Funko Pop that I actually bought was the Cigarette Smoking Man. But I thought it was just necessary. It was just time to focus on the show that made me love television. I would watch this show 
every single Friday that it came on. And again, remember, this is a show that started in the early 1990s. The ideas of streaming or being able to kind of throw something into, say, the DVD player was non-existent. If I missed an episode, I was shit out of luck. There was no way I was going to be able to watch this episode. Those of you out there that are unfamiliar with, say, the 1990s and being able to watch television and what happens if you miss it. Now, there was no DVR. There was no ability to really kind of capture these. You were, again, shit out of luck. That's why I needed to watch these. And I remember sometimes missing an episode of The X-Files. I had no idea when I was going to be able to watch it again. And so I felt like the time was right to finally take on the X-Files. I missed Mulder. I missed Scully. I even missed the kind of, you know, cigarette smoking man and his kind of sourpuss mug on his face in his own way. I missed all of that. And so I was really, really, really excited that I took this opportunity to watch an X-Files episode and kind of throw myself back in that youthful nostalgia. I would identify it in the sense of just kind of really enjoying the adventures of, say, Mulder and Scully, how unique and interesting the storylines and the structure of each episode actually was. I mean, this is a series that I believe has created things that other TV shows have constantly borrowed from paid homage to, of course. I mean, the Monster of the Week episodes where you get these kind of unique and different stories that Mulder and Scully are investigating that don't really have anything to do with a season-long arc. And the season-long arc is a key component, obviously, of the X-Files as well. The alien conspiracy, the government coming after them or trying to hide things from the American public. Those were all key components and things that I do believe that other shows have borrowed in some capacity. That kind of stylistic approach to storytelling on a season-by-season -season basis. And the X-Files did it fantastic. It was heart-pounding. It was dramatic. Obviously, season-to-season season was stressful because there was always a fucking cliffhanger. While I'm not a huge fan of cliffhangers, holy fucking God, did they do a great job every season. Kind of two episodes in the beginning, two episodes in the middle, two episodes at the end that all deal with the alien conspiracy. And it would always go from season to season. And it would just be kind of mind-boggling. But the Monster of the Week episodes, a kind of terminology that I do believe came from the X-Files that other shows now use, is this idea of their own kind of standalone episodes that focus on this investigative power, this kind of Mulder and Scully being Columbo. They investigate, they find out what's going on, they solve it, they move on. It could be very much kind of paranormal, or it could be an actual monster, but ultimately it becomes a kind of standalone piece that makes you really, really, really excited to tune in from week to week to the, see this show. Um, when it was airing in its prime. And the one thing to say about airing in its prime, right? Most series today are, you know, nine episodes, 13 episodes, 15 episodes max. Again, especially these dramatic shows. Those are not long seasons any longer. And they haven't been that way for over a decade. But oh my goodness, The X-Files, when it was in its prime, was part of that time frame when they went on for 24 episode seasons. Now, to be quite honest, I don't miss that. I don't miss that length of season. But what they could do with that, the time that they had to devote to turning out all these different Monster of the Week episodes, as well as kind of being able to spend a ton of time with these series-long arcs of the conspiracies.
So as you're probably already well aware, this is one of those shows that just hit me in all the right ways. And so as it is my all-time favorite show, it was a little stressful to kind of throw myself back into it, but then obviously kind of try to take it on and offer some kind of, in many ways, an older perspective. I was so much younger when I watched this for the first time and the way that it made me see science fiction drama. I was worried I wasn't going to kind of see it in the same exact way. Spoiler, I saw it fantastic. It was amazing. So there was nothing to worry about. And so for the episode that I chose today, I, I watched the episode that I'm sure most of you thought I would watch if choosing a show like The X-Files. I watched the damn pilot, everybody. I love pilots. You know I love pilots. I have done several pilots on this podcast. And the reason that I chose the pilot of the X-Files rather than any other type of episode, whether it be really ingrained in the conspiracy arc or really one of those episodic monster of the week episodes was because I want to see where it all began. I want to remind myself of that first meeting of Mulder and Scully, that kind of cigarette smoking man sitting in the corner, being the puppet master and pulling all the strings. I wanted that feeling once again. I was shown something that just hit me, the way that the cameras were used, the facial expressions, the storyline itself, even just the written dialogue, and even the score that kind of would help elevate certain scenes. I mean, I'm going to get into it when we talk about the scenes, but holy shit. I just remember watching it and just being so, so captivated. And so let's use that as a segue, everybody, and start getting into this technical details of the X-Files. And so we can start getting into the pilot episode. The X-Files is a science fiction drama created by Chris Carter. The series aired from September 1993 to May of 2002 on the Fox Network. During its original run, the program spanned nine seasons with 202 episodes. A short tenth season consisting of six episodes ran from January to February of 2016. And following its success, The X-Files returned for an eleventh season of ten episodes, which ran from January to March of 2018. In addition to the series itself, there was two feature films which were released. And so the series itself centers around the Federal Bureau of Investigation, we have special agents Fox Mulder, played by David Duchovny, Dana Scully, played by Gillian Anderson. They investigate what can only be described as the cryptic X-Files, which are supposedly, as we'll learn in today's episode, unsolved cases involving paranormal phenomena, aliens, monsters, anything that is pretty much just thrown in the trash heap and no one investigates. What I do really like about the X-Files is this dynamic of Mulder and Scully, obviously some Something that will eventually become romantic, but which starts platonic. Mulder is the believer in all the paranormal, but Scully, the medical doctor, is the absolute skeptic. And I love that she serves as his base of reason for everything that maybe forces Mulder to go off the deep end. There's just so much to love about these two characters. So going back slightly to the structure of the series itself, I would argue that around two-thirds of all the episodes, and if we're talking about, say, a 24-episode season, about two-thirds of those are the Monster of the Week episodes that focus on, a, say, a one-off villain, maybe a mutant, a monster, or alien in some capacity. It could be anything, but yeah, focus on a one-off type of thing. And some of these episodes were fucking horrifying. We do have Mulder's kind of sister angle that we'll see a little bit later as well, her abduction, which is really what has forced Mulder to become the individual he is 
is. Otherwise, the alien invasion arc, the kind of government conspiracy, alien conspiracy arc, takes up about one third. That just kind of structures the entire series of the X-Files and how you kind of understand of how much time are they devoting to just kind of like a basic week to week investigating kind of paranormal monsters and so on. And then the episodes that are, whoa, we're, we're, we're having a link that goes from season to season to season to season to season. Trust me, when when they announced that there was going to be a revival in 2016 for six episodes, I was on fucking cloud nine. When you watch a show for as long as you do, you watch The X-Files and you have two major films and you feel like it's done. No, there was none of this reboot, this kind of revival. That was not really a thing. But The X-Files has really paved some incredible paths. And, you know, one of the first series to have the kind of you know, DVD cases, right? That you're seeing a TV show that is now on DVD that you can own and watch it whenever you want. The X-Files was one. I'm not saying that it was the first. I don't know if it was the first. And then one of the first shows that started to kind of pave the path for revivals. We've seen a want to go back to the shows of our youth, the shows that made us so nostalgic, so happy, that entertained us to such high levels. We want to see them come back. And so when it came back in 2016, I loved all of it. And when it came back again in 2018, you better believe I watched all the episodes. It was exciting. Was it perfection? Absolutely not. It doesn't need to be perfection. It needs to be entertaining. And entertaining it was. It's exactly what I want as a viewer. It's my form of entertainment. It's the pop culture that I love. It's why the X-Files became a cult series. It's why it was in many ways one of the great series. And so the X-Files was rated 8.6 on IMDb. Most episodes run from about 43 to 46 minutes. As I said, the first two episodes of a season, the last two episodes of a season, the middle two episodes of a season could usually be guaranteed to be that alien conspiracy arc while all the other episodes episodes are devoted to the Monster of the Week episodes. Chris Carter, the show's creator, also was a key writer, executive producer, and a showrunner. With that being said, let's go over some of the characters in the cast for The X-Files. Now, the only characters worth talking about are clearly Mulder and Scully. Mulder, played by David Duchovny, and Scully, played by Gillian Anderson. But there's two other ones that I want to give a shout out to. But let me start with, again, Fox Mulder for just a second. Because Mulder's is a character. He is an Oxford-educated FBI special agent. He's a conspiracy theorist, as I said. A criminal profile. He believes in the existence of extraterrestrials and government conspiracies, he's the one originally taking on the work of the X-Files. And Scully is going to be the individual brought in to ultimately debunk him. She's a medical doctor, a scientist, a skeptic. And so she's brought in by the kind of powers that be, the individuals who are watching Mulder, the ones that are weary of what he is uncovering. And so it's a wonderful, wonderful way to start a show by which these two are going to be the only ones that can trust each other. That's what eventually we're going to build to. So another character that I want to kind of give a shout out to is the character of Walter Skinner, played by Mitch Pileggi. He is a main, main, main character that is in all of the seasons. And he's the FBI assistant director who in many ways is the boss of Mulder and Scully. But the one character that I need to mention at this point, he makes an appearance in the pilot episode. I have a Funko Pop. It's looking at me right now of this character. And that is the cigarette smoking man. I mean, that's just a great name for a villain. And he is portrayed by William Davis. And he was in all the seasons in some capacity. He is the primary villain. 
And so, especially when it comes to the X-Files, great character development. I mean, you fall in love with the main characters from day one. You know, the writing of this series and show, awesome. The music, eerie, creepy, helps to kind of set the intensity of a scene or a moment. And even in today's episode, the scene construction is amazing. And, and to be quite honest, even from today's episode, you're going to really, really, really understand these characters. You're going to really, really understand the humor, the dynamic, really what they're about, really from the first, first moment. Again, especially the kind of Mulder humor, the heart that this series kind of puts forward, the science fiction, the horror, all of it is kind of mixed up, even in the pilot episode, to kind of provide a moose-bouche of what you're going to see throughout the entire series. Let's get into the pilot episode. Let's talk a little bit about the technical details before we take it scene by scene. So the pilot episode of The X-Files aired on September 10th, 1993. This episode was written by series creator Chris Carter. It was directed by Robert Mandel, and it was an episode that would set up the mythology storyline of the series. But I also see it as a slight hybrid. As I said, while it is all about the alien conspiracy, our government cover-up, again, we're going to get enough of the cigarette smoking man but the investigation of a specific case in the episode is a real kind of sampling of what we see in the monster of the week episodes there is something that is taking place the fbi is called in it goes to the x-files Mulder and scully investigate and therefore we find out what's going on and you kind of wrap it up columbo-esque law and order-esque it's a kind of whodunit type of thing but you're doing it with monsters and paranormal and so i do believe that you see a little bit of that in the pilot episode to kind of say hey well it's going to be about this arc but also episodes will look like this and so the pilot episode was rated 8.2 on imdb and so here is the episode premise agent dana scully is assigned to work with agent fox Mulder on the x-files in an attempt to debunk his work on the paranormal their first case has them investigating apparent alien abductions and so as i said the comp composition of this episode was done by mark snow and again the composition of this episode is haunting the score goes along perfectly with the dialogue the camera work it sets the tone and mood of a scene perfectly and thomas del ruth who was the cinematographer damn did he crush it in this episode as well for 1993 television there are some incredible scenes really really inventive there is just so many powerful intense moments close-ups it's just there's so much really done so 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 well and as i've always said pilots are difficult, difficult episodes. They have a lot of heavy lifting to do. Some can really shit the bed, everyone, and we know it, we've seen it, and they just don't define a show. And sometimes those shows become incredible. The X-Files really establishes two characters that you love who are not going to change. They're always going to be like this. The dynamic that they have, the friendship, the love, the admiration, the dangers that they will encounter, like the cigarette smoking man, none of these people really change. They just adapt. They get better and better and better, but they're great in this moment. And so for heavy lifting pilots, this one is one of the most heavy lifting pilots I have ever watched because on its shoulders are nine incredible seasons of the x-files two movies and a revival and a cult classic 
hit. This is a series that defines a genre. And so that was all put on the shoulders of this pilot and it established the most solid of ground that a pilot can establish. So with that being said, let's get into the pilot episode of The X-Files, taking it scene by scene. The start of any X-Files episode is oftentimes terrifying, and the pilot episode is really no different. And I do love that it starts with the black screen and the writing that comes up that says the following story is inspired by actual documented accounts. And then it immediately cuts into the woods, and it's nighttime, and you literally have a woman running in a nightgown, and the camera is just following her during that time. And again, the music is eerie. She looks frightened. She falls down a hill. The wind is picking up. We see leaves going everywhere. Trees are swaying. We're even seeing lights beyond a little hill in the distance, and you can see the lights getting brighter and brighter and brighter. And then eventually we see the kind of camera focusing on her, but then pulling back, and then we see another individual, a man, coming out from the light, and he is descending down upon her, and the wind is kind of blowing around them. It's almost like a tornado, but only around them as he stands near her, and then he seems to almost be glowing, and then it gets so bright that it turns white, and then it kind of cuts to the next scene. It's daytime, and so we see that the girl that we had seen in the scene before that was running through the woods is now dead, and a man by the name of Detective Miles and another, the coroner, by the name of John Truitt are walking and seeing what has happened to this girl. Girl. And so the young girl is eventually identified as Karen Swenson, who the detective knows. And this is going to create very, very eerie music at the time. And as the detective is leaving, because he knows who this young girl is, the coroner is going to kind of use some really, really, really cryptic dialogue by which he even says or yells at him, you know, is this the class of 89 detective? It's happening again, isn't it? It's building that kind of tone for the episode that something really fucked up is taking place. This is not the first time something like this has happened. So we have a real perfect, perfect scene taking place. It immediately goes into a really great building scene as well, because in the very next scene, it's going to say, FBI headquarters, Washington, D.C., and we're going to be introduced a woman walking into the FBI building, and that is Agent Dana Scully, played by Jillian Anderson, and she is the center of this episode. Scully in this scene is going to have a meeting, and she is walking through the halls of this building, and she is going to meet with a man by the name of Scott Blevins. Agent Scully, thank you for coming on such short notice, please. We see you've been with us just over two years. Yes, sir. You went to medical school, but you chose not to practice. Are you familiar with an agent named Fox Mulder? Yes, I am. How so? By reputation. He's an Oxford-educated psychologist who wrote a monograph on serial killers and the occult that helped catch Monty Props in 1988. Generally thought of as the best analyst in the violent crime section. He had a nickname at the academy. Spooky Mulder. What I'll also tell you is that Agent Mulder has developed a consuming devotion to an unassigned project outside the Bureau mainstream. Are you familiar with the so-called X-Files? I believe they have to do with unexplained phenomena. More or less. The reason you're here, Agent Scully, is we want you to assist Mulder on these X-Files. You will write field reports on your activities, along with your observations on the validity of the work. Am I to understand that you want me to debunk the X-Files project, sir? Agent Scully, we trust you'll make the proper scientific analysis. 
talk about foundational scenes. That is one. And I love, love, love. Once, once she's walked through the building, she knocks on the door, she goes in and she sits down and we see Blevins, we see another man. We also have the cigarette smoking man who is literally standing next to the file cabinet smoking and just watching the conversation. He is in a couple scenes this episode. He does not say a word that is audible to the viewer and he steals scenes. This scene is essential because again, it is establishing what Scully is there for. She is there to investigate what Mulder is doing with the X-Files. I love when Scully gives her kind of overview of Mulder. I love that the camera is kind of moving or swinging around her so that by the time that she's done with her line, we are seeing her and then in the distance, we see the cigarette smoking man. So when the camera goes back to Scully's face and she says that he's known as Spooky Mulder, she kind of smirks and looks in the cigarette smoking man's direction and he doesn't make a gesture. And I had goosebumps watching that scene because you know what this is establishing. I mean, the cigarette smoking man is, is there as Scully is being given the job to investigate and to in many ways debunk Mulder. And so this is how this cult series starts and how this pilot episode is introducing you to one of the most iconic characters in television. And so in the next scene, I love that we hear an elevator door, the door slides open, Scully goes into the basement, she's walking around a secluded area, we have tons of boxes, great music playing, you know, we're following Scully with the camera from behind, she knocks on a door, and this is the clip that I played at the beginning of the podcast, because it is the first interaction between Mulder and Scully, and I love that Mulder's first line in this episode is, sorry, nobody here, but the FBI's most unwanted great opening line. It shows the kind of Mulderisms, the Mulder kind of comedy that will be a key, key component of the entire series. And so that is the first thing that you kind of hear. And eventually Scully goes into the office and we have all the famous posters around him at that time. The UFO that says under it, you know, I want to believe. And so this is really what Scully is seeing for the first time. And so they have a wonderful, wonderful back and forth. Oh, a perfect first meeting of two iconic characters. And so in the very next part of that scene, we do see that Mulder is going to ask for Scully's advice, and he's going to start to show her the crime scene photos of Karen Swenson. And he starts to show her a slideshow on a screen of the photos, and he is asking Scully for her help to identify a couple marks so they start going over some of the details and when he does ask Scully's help to identify those marks, she's asking if there's needle punctures, an animal bite, electrocution of some kind. They're just, they just cannot be identified and then Mulder will eventually show her some chemistry on the board that, that Scully will respond that, well, it's, it's organic, I don't know, is it some kind of synthetic protein? And they just don't know. So what we're starting to be introduced to here is that there are marks on Karen that are unidentifiable. They are not really why she was killed, but there's no real reason they should be there. And then Scully is just as confused as Mulder in this moment, but Mulder has another one. And he starts to show her other evidence of other cases of similar individuals who have similar marks on their backs to showcase why he thinks that this is an alien abduction case. He walks over to Scully and we literally are seeing the two of them looking at each other while in the distance and in between them is the crime scene photographs and the imagery of other cases by which these marks have also been found on those victims. It's just really, 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 really good imagery in that moment. 
But then Mulder will throw out some really, really good commentary. Do you have a theory? I have plenty of theories. Maybe what you can explain to me is why it's bureau policy to label these cases as unexplained phenomena and ignore them. Do you believe in the existence of extraterrestrials? Logically, I would have to say no. Given the distances needed to travel from the far reaches of space, the energy requirements would exceed a spacecraft's capabilities. Conventional wisdom. You know this Oregon female. She's the fourth person in her graduating class to die under mysterious circumstances. Now, when convention and science offer us no answers, might we not finally turn to the fantastic as a plausibility? The girl obviously died of something. If it was natural causes, it's plausible that there was something missed in the postmortem. If she was murdered, it's plausible there was a sloppy investigation. What I find fantastic is any notion that there are answers beyond the realm of science. The answers are there. You just have to know where to look. That's why they put the eye in FBI. Such an incredible scene with really Scully and Mulder both having some really great lines of dialogue that allow them to kind of posture in their position. She's so Scully in this moment and he's so Mulder in this moment. It's exactly what you want from both characters, which is what makes these two brilliant with their individual monologues of how they are really trying to showcase that they know what this could possibly be, even when they don't know what this could or is. And so I love that Mulder will kind of end that scene by telling her to get ready because they're going to Oregon the next day to investigate. And so this establishes now this part of what we see in most X-Files episodes by which the investigative part. They get a case, they talk about the case, He's the believer, she's the skeptic, and now they're going to where the case is to assist the local police department, the local law enforcement to solve this crime. And so in the very next scene, we're just seeing the airplane ride to Oregon by which we see Mulder laying down sleeping. But I love that Scully is sitting nearby. She's reading this case files. She keeps seeing the name Dr. Neiman, Dr. Neiman. The music is very eerie. We even hear the overhead speakers ringing. We have the pilot coming on and saying, hey, everybody, you should fasten your seatbelts. And then we have really bad turbulence. I mean, things get a little shaky and very violent. And then eventually we see Scully kind of looking terrified in this moment. She looks at Mulder. He has his eyes wide open, no longer sleeping, looking to the ceiling of the plane. And then eventually the plane comes under control. Mulder kind of turns around, looks at Scully and just says, this must be the place. So in the very next scene after the plane ride, we are seeing that Mulder and Scully are now in a car and they're driving in Bellaflor, Oregon. We have Scully in the passenger seat reading files and Mulder, randomly enough, eating sunflower seeds while driving. So I love that we're having really good dialogue in this moment, though, by which we see Mulder and Scully talking about the local authorities, the fact that they couldn't turn up any evidence. So Mulder believes that they can kind of come in, solve this for them, we'll be here only a little while, and then we'll be on our way. And Scully is starting to be like, okay, but I'm reading these files and I'm not seeing anything different. And so she's asking Mulder in many ways, like, did you find something that they didn't? And he kind of just gestures, mm-hmm, as if to say yes. And so it's about the autopsy report. There is a different medical examiner for one of the victims that they found, because we're not dealing with just one victim. But there have been three other victims in this exact same area that died from similar circumstances and all had similar marks on their body. And so there is something seriously 
seriously going on. And, and so they're on their way to the cemetery because they have asked for a medical examiner to actually exhume the bodies and for them to investigate and see one of the previous individuals or victims that had died and see what similarities they can render from both that victim and this newest victim. But it's at this point that they're driving, they're talking, that we start to see Mulder start to look up to the sky. And as I said at the beginning of this podcast, the music of the X-Files episodes oftentimes will indicate a kind of mood change as well. And so the fact the music starts to become very eerie at this moment and that the radio starts to kind of mess up. We even see Scully covering her ears because the clock is starting to change times. Things are starting to happen and the, and the music or the score is starting to kind of make the atmosphere of this scene feel disarming and very uncomfortable. Mulder doesn't look scared though, even though Scully does. And what we see next is that Mulder is going to stop the car, get out, almost seeming like he knows what's going on. He's going to take a can of spray paint out of the truck walk a couple feet away from the car and spray paint a large X on the ground. After he puts the X on the road, that the music kind of gets really reflective and eerie. He looks at the sky, pauses for a couple seconds, and even Scully kind of standing there with her hands on her hips. And Mulder just kind of starts walking back to the car, tosses the spray paint in the back of the truck like a boss. And Scully just kind of breaks the silence because no one said anything at this point. You can see by her facial expression and body language, she's like, what the fuck is going on? And she finally breaks the silence and says, what the hell was that all about? And I love Mulder's response is, oh, you know, probably nothing. All right, so in the next scene, we're going to see Mulder and Scully make their way to the cemetery to support in the exhumation of one of the victim's bodies. But when they make it their way to the cemetery and they're parked and they're making their way up the hill, they're going to talk to one of the men, John Truitt, who we had actually seen in the first scene, who works for the coroner's office. Both Mulder and Scully are going to be accosted by another man who just shows up. He's with, young, with a younger girl, his daughter, who will find out. And he's going after Mulder and Scully for having taken this action to exhume the body. And the individual is going to identify himself as Dr. J. Neiman. And we've seen this name once before. It was actually in the records that Scully was going over in the plane on their way from D.C. to Oregon. And so we have here one of the individuals whom Scully has already been thinking is a suspect because Newman is the county medical examiner. And through her investigative work so far, there have been some discrepancies in how the victims were examined. So Scully is already kind of looking towards him and now he's accosting them telling them who do, who do they think they are even at one point the man's daughter gets out of the car tries to stop him from talking to Mulder and Scully he tells her to get back in the car almost treating her as if she is really really ill so he just kind of spirals and spirals and spirals and so eventually the man will get back in the car with his daughter he will drive off and Mulder's comment after that is just a snarky comment where he looks at Scully and he says well that guy obviously needed a longer vacation. And so during the process of, say, exhuming the body of one of the victims, the victim will be a man by the name of Ray Soames. He was the third victim. As Scully is looking into his records while they're kind of pulling up the coffin, Scully is reading from the records and saying that he spent time in a mental hospital after high school. He suffers from post-adolescent schizophrenia. Mulder responds to her by saying that he had actually confessed to two of the murders, but did not provide any any evidence that he actually committed those crimes. 
And I love that during the dialogue of Mulder and Scully, the camera's kind of going back and forth. You're seeing it's kind of building some suspense. And I do believe this is the part of the episode that we start to see the suspense really start to build, where the camera is giving them real leeway in their ability to nail key parts of those lines. And then eventually, as Scully even talks about the fact of what Ray Soames died from, which was one of Mulder's questions for Scully. And Scully's response to that was that he died from exposure. His body was found in the woods after escaping from the mental hospital. But Mulder kind of keys into this point and is like, how does a 20-year-old man die from exposure on a warm summer night in Oregon after only being missing for seven hours? So as Mulder and Scully are talking, we still are seeing workers hauling up the coffin and suddenly one of the straps breaks and the coffin starts rolling down the hill and then it hits another headstone and then it breaks open. And then Mulder gets to it and he's about to open it more. And one of the corners workers, the Truett man, kind of holds his arm and is like, hey, you can't do that. Mulder's like, well, I kind of, I think that protocol is kind of out the window at this point. And so we see Mulder open the coffin and it is alarming. We see a kind of mummified grayish body lying in the coffin. It is disgusting. It does not look human at all. And so I love Mulder's comments as he sees this thing that is clearly not human in the grave. And he says, well, it's a probably safe bet that Ray Soames never made the varsity basketball team. And then he kind of chuckles. Again, those are the Mulderisms that I love about the X-Files. Just like this is clearly not the same 20-year-old guy that died from exposure in this coffin. Something fucked up is going on. And he makes a comment because of the fact that this thing looks way smaller than him. It's just a great nailed line. And so Mulder yells for everybody to seal up this coffin right now. He doesn't want anybody touching it. Let's be honest. We know exactly what Mulder thinks this thing is. He thinks that some sort of alien tech has either done something to Ray Soam's body or that this is an alien. For the audience, this is what we love about the X-Files. It's these types of moments where something is introduced. You know something down the line is going to get really fucked up. It's Something's going to happen that ruins all of this for Mulder, destroys his excitement because let me just say this in the next scene Mulder is really fucking excited we are now going to be at the medical examiner's office and Scully is going to be performing an examination. Mulder has what can only be described as like a reporter's camera where the flashbulb, you know, goes off every time you take a photo. And so Mulder is excitedly and eagerly taking photographs of this quote unquote thing, which is Ray Soames in some capacity, I guess, on the medical examiner's table. And Scully is performing an examination, talking out loud into a recording device, taking a record of what she is seeing to kind of type it up later, as we'll see. And so she kind of goes over a lot of descriptions of what she's seeing, you know, large cavities, you know, large cranium. She's talking about the corpse being at advanced stages of decay. So all the things that are important in, say, this type of an examination. Mulder is running around her taking pictures. She's kind of getting annoyed with him for taking so many pictures. You know, Mulder even then looks at Scully and says, if that's not human, then what is it? And this is where Scully kind of says, well, maybe it's a kind of chimpanzee or something in the ape family, possibly an orangutan. Mulder kind of is like in disbelief because he's like, well, how did this thing get buried in the city cemetery in Ray Soames's grave? So we have tons of questions that need to be answered. It matters in one sense to Mulder whether or not this has something to do with aliens, but ultimately the fact that this is the way that it is, is offering up questions that are perfect for, you know, what he's been working on for so long now, the X-Files. 
He demands and asks Scully to do tissue samples, x-ray, he wants blood type, toxicology, he wants a full genetic workup. Mulder, for his part, and this will become a constant theme throughout all the X-Files, needs all of the evidence. He believes, but he needs everything to back it up. And that's where Scully kind of comes in as the rational individual. And she even says here, she goes, you know, you don't honestly believe that this is a, some kind of extraterrestrial. And so ultimately, the point of this scene is to showcase evidence and put it on many ways, a silver platter to Mulder and say, here you are. This is what you want. Evidence of some sort of conspiracy and evidence of the existence of extraterrestrials is sitting right in front of you in some capacity. I like that Mulder looks at Scully at this moment towards the end of this scene and says, hey, listen, I'm not crazy. I have the same doubts as you, Scully. And so it's a perfect moment by which they've been trying to peg Mulder in this kind of hole that he is this believer and that he throws reason out the window. No, he does have rational thoughts. So ultimately, Mulder is a believer, but he also wants the evidence. He doesn't just want to take it on as it is. And so in the very next scene, we're going to see that Scully is in her hotel room. She's listening to her own examination observations. She's typing notes on her wonderful 1993 laptop. Um, we're looking at a x-ray of Soames or that kind of thing. And ultimately in the recording, she's talking about a gray mysterious metal object that was found in his navel cavity. And I love that the camera's kind of panning around her hotel room at this time. We see her gun, the tape recorder, her voice notes. We even see the little metal object or inside some sort of a tube. And then we hear a knock at the door and Mulder will kind of come by. In many ways, he's even saying, I'm too wired to sleep. So I'm going to go for a run. Do you want to come with me? I mean, she's like, I think I'm going to pass. And so Mulder asks her at this point if she's been able to figure out what that thing is that was up Ray Soames's nose yet. And she says, no. And so this will eventually bring us to the next scene, which we're going to be at the state psychiatric hospital, where we see Mulder, Scully, and Dr. Glass are walking outside a building as Dr. Glass is explaining that Ray Soames was a patient. He had suffered from clinical schizophrenia. And so Mulder kind of is questioning him, asking him if he's seen this before. And Glass explains that, yes, he's treated similar cases. And Scully kind of chimes in at this point, knowing that several members of Ray Soames' classmates from high school all perished. Scully asks if Glass has treated any of Ray Soames' classmates as well, and he responds, yes. And so we have a really good dialogue back and forth. I love the cameras focusing on all of them individually, but also following them as they're walking around the hospital grounds outside. Then Scully will question Glass whether or not he's treating any of Ray Soames's former classmates at this current moment. And he will respond, yes. He has two patients, Billy Miles, Peggy O'Dell. Both of them have been long-term live-in patients. And so we see both Mulder and Scully kind of light up at this moment. Like, no, we will have, we have two opportunities to talk to two classmates who could be following the same path. And so Glass will explain that he will bring both Mulder and Scully to see Billy Miles, who will also be there with Peggy O'Dell. The one thing to recognize, Billy Miles is actually in a coma. And when we, when we see the three of them, Glass, Mulder, and Scully walk into the hospital room, we see Peggy O'Dell sitting in a wheelchair. She does not have the ability to walk and she's reading a book to Billy. Glass explains to both of them that, that Peggy and Billy have been here since they both suffered a very horrible automobile accident. So the next part of this scene will watch as Mulder and Scully are questioning Peggy and Dr. Glass will interject at time to time as Mulder is talking to the doctor and asks if they can do a cursory medical exam of Peggy. She freaks out, falls off the wheelchair, and her nose starts bleeding uncontrollably. It's like all hell is breaking loose. 
As Peggy O'Dell is freaking out, she's fallen on the ground, everybody's running to her aid, we see that Mulder takes the opportunity to kind of lift up the back of her shirt. Remember, what Mulder and Scully are looking for are similarities between all the victims. And one of the things that had brought Mulder and Scully to Oregon to investigate was the sign of bumps on the lower back of each of the victims. Something that he sees connected to alien abduction. And so at this moment, he's going to lift up slight and he sees the bumps. And so by seeing this, Scully becomes incredibly disturbed. And we see some really great raw emotion on Scully's face. What she's seeing in her eyes is some sort of evidence of a connective thread from each of these victims to even individuals elsewhere. She is also seeing something that defies reason. So Scully, at this point, will walk out of the room and Mulder goes after her. How did you know the girl was gonna have the marks? I don't know, lucky guess. Damn it, Mulder, cut the crap. What is going on here? What do you know about those marks? What are they? Why, so you can put it down in your little report? I don't think you're ready for what I think. I'm here to solve this case, Mulder. I want the truth. The truth? I think those kids have been abducted. By who? By what? You don't really believe that. Do you have a better explanation? I'll buy that girl is suffering some kind of pronounced psychosis. Whether it's organic or the result of those marks, I can't say. But to say that they've been riding around in flying saucers, it's crazy, Mulder. There is nothing to support that. Nothing scientific, you mean? There has got to be an explanation. You've got four victims. All of them died in or near the woods. They found Karen Swenson's body in the forest, in her pajamas, ten miles from her house. How did she get there? What were those kids doing out there in the forest? It seems like that that makes the X-Files great, where you have Mulder taking an opportunity to say what he believes is taking place. We have alien abduction as a kind of undercurrent of his belief in what is taking place. He does not believe that there is a better explanation for what is taking place, but I love Scully's dedication to her skepticism and to her reason. So the back and the forth, as they're kind of walking and talking at first, then they stop, they look at each other, they're kind of angry with each other in some capacity. They're talking about the truth. They're talking about alien abduction. They're talking about that something is actually taking place. And so you have a lot of great dialogue being written here. And the way that the camera captures it, it's just wonderful. It, there's just such a great strength in the both of the dynamics that are established here. And this is what we want for character development. Again, this is what pilots can have a very difficult time doing, is showcasing this type of development from day one. The comfortability that both of these actors and characters have with one another. And so a really, really fantastic fantastic scene. As you listen to that clip, the music is outstanding. Again, I've said that about this pilot, but all X-File episodes kind of fall into that. The music is just another character. It is another part, another component. You take that music out of that scene and you're going to lose something. The drama, the eeriness, the creepiness, the real kind of uncertainty of that scene. You need that music to be the way that it is to really enhance your viewing experience and how really connected you are to what they're talking about and the next scene is going to find Mulder and Scully. They're going to be in the forest and they're going to be walking, looking for evidence and information. And so they're walking the forest, they're carrying flashlights, and you, that's really the only light that you are seeing at this moment. And so it just adds to the kind of atmosphere of this episode that just kind of makes The X-Files what it is. When you think about The X-Files, you're not thinking of a vibrant show. It's just That's just not what you're going to think about. And so they're in the woods, they're carrying flashlights, they're eventually going to split up, and they're eventually going to encounter a similar scene that we 
had seen in the beginning of the episode by which we see the wind start to blow. We're like, oh shit, what happened to the girl at the beginning of the episode is going to happen to Scully or Mulder. And so this, the camera, because Mulder and Scully have split uh, split up, it'll focus on Mulder at one point. It'll focus on Scully at another point. And eventually we'll be focusing on Scully and she's going to be in pretty much the same exact place where the Karen Swenson had been when she perished. And so she's at the bottom of the slight hill and we're starting to see the light. The light is, is beyond the trees and it's getting brighter and brighter and brighter. And we're like, oh shit. And eventually we see a man walking from out of that light. And it's the detective from the very first scene of the episode, the detective Miles. So they're going to go back and forth. And so he's going to tell Scully that she is trespassing on private property. And so we have a very tense exchange between them. And eventually Mulder will meet up with Scully. And eventually there'll be a little bit of a tense exchange as well. But Mulder and Scully will eventually vacate the area. Like all good X-Files episodes, there's something going on and individuals in power don't want this information getting out. So after their standoff with Detective Miles, Mulder and Scully get back in their car and they are now driving in the rain, mind you, and they are wondering why Detective Miles was even in the woods all by himself. What is he trying to make them miss? Why does he want them gone? And eventually Scully will say, maybe it has to do with this. And she shows Mulder a handful of dirt. She had picked up this kind of weird substance from the ground when she was in the same exact area where Karen Swenson had been found dead. And Mulder is like, well, what do you think it is? She goes, I think something's going on out there. Maybe some kind of sacrifice. Maybe that man knows something about it. So Scully is using the evidence that she's finding around her to point to some sort of not rational reason, but reason nonetheless that doesn't need aliens to explain what is actually taking place. So as Scully is kind of talking about this, we see Mulder start to act slightly strange. He's looking at his compass. You know, he's looking at his watch. He's It reads 903. We have a lot of music that's kind of building at this moment as well too. So we have a scene that's starting to build in intensity. Mulder's even starting to look to the sky as he's driving. Scully's like, what are you looking for? And he doesn't say anything. At that second, we start to see a light and it starts to glow really, really bright, almost like it's bright white. And so it's so disarming, even for the viewer. And we see Mulder and Scully go through almost like what is a slow motion scene by which the light engulfs them everything goes white. Next part of that scene, the camera, we the viewer, are watching from outside, looking at the car as it's coming towards us. It's not on, it's just coming to a dead stop. So then we're back in the car and Scully will be like, what was that? We lost power, brake steering, everything. We lost nine minutes. That's just such a great short scene because it's providing Mulder all the evidence that he needs 
to justify and to really defend his belief. Aliens, in some capacity, have to be behind what is taking place here. Because what you don't see in the clip by just hearing it is that when Mulder gets out of the car and he's kind of cheering to the fact that he has lost nine minutes, he is right next to the spot where he had put an X on the ground. So it's just a powerful, powerful scene. And I love one of Mulder's last lines. And when Scully is so against what he's saying, the car starts, they're outside of it. The car just starts and Mulder just smiles and looks at her and is like, not in this zip code. So in the very next scene, we're going to be in Scully's hotel room. She's typing on her laptop. We see her typing. She's typing, Agent Mulder's insistence of time loss due to unknown forces cannot be validated or substantiated by this witness. So we do see that there's a thunderclap that rings out at this time. It causes a blackout. And so she's in her bathroom. She's carrying a candle. She has a bathrobe on. And we start to see her looking into the mirror. You can see that she's feeling the, her lower back and something is there that causes causes her to have panic. And in the very, very, very next scene, almost like a quick shift, we are at Mulder's hotel room. She's knocking on the door. He opens it. She comes in very, very quickly. And she asks him, he can look at something that she's found. She's clearly scared. And so in the very next scene, the music is really, really eerie. We see that she takes off the robe and the camera will pan down to what Mulder is. And he actually has a candle as well. And he's kind of going down from her shoulders, down her back. And then he stops and he's looking and he sees bumps. For Scully, she is terrified that those might be the same bumps that they've been finding on all these victims. But ultimately, Mulder will start to laugh and say, hey, listen, they're only mosquito bites. He got bit a bunch of times as well, so don't worry about it. And she kind of just turns around and hugs him. And so it's a really sweet and touching scene. Scully is going to remain in Mulder's hotel room, and they are going to be having a very deep and important conversation. We're going to get a ton of information here. All of Mulder's backstory, what drove him and made him want to participate in the X-Files. It's scenes like this that can make or break a pilot, and it made this pilot great. I was 12 when it happened. My sister was eight. She just disappeared out of her bed one night. Just gone. Vanished. No note, no phone calls, no evidence of anything. You never found her. Tore the family apart. No one would talk about it. There were no facts to confront, nothing to offer any hope. What did you do? Eventually, I went off to school in England. I came back, got recruited by the Bureau. Seems I had a natural aptitude for applying behavioral models to criminal cases. My success allowed me a certain freedom to pursue my own interests. That's when I came across the X-Files. By accident? At first, it looked like a garbage dump for UFO sightings, alien abduction reports, the kind of stuff that most people laugh at as being ridiculous. But I was fascinated. I read all the cases I could get my hands on, hundreds of them. I read everything I could about paranormal phenomena, about the occult. And there's classified government information I've been trying to access, but someone has been blocking my attempts to get at it. I don't understand. Someone at a higher level of power. The only reason I've been allowed to continue with my work is because I've made connections in Congress. And they're afraid of what? That that you'll leak this information? You're part of that agenda. You know that. I'm not a part of any agenda. You've got to trust me. I'm here just like you to solve this. 
Duchovny and Anderson just crush that scene. It just makes it a perfect X-Files moment where we really get to understand the dynamic between these two characters. They get a little bit closer in terms of their relationship in this moment. And the musical score that just backs up both Scully and Mulder's lines of dialogue, it just takes the scene to ultimately a higher level. And so eventually, as the conversation continues to go on, the phone will ring in the hotel room and Mulder will find out that Peggy O'Dell has just been found dead. And Scully is in shock and is like, wait a minute, the girl in the wheelchair, she's dead? And so we're eventually going to go to our next scene where we are going to be on a rural highway in Bellaflor, Oregon. There's a Mack truck on the side of the road, ambulances, police cars all around. And Mulder and Scully will pull up in their car and be like, what happened? And the truck driver being interviewed by one of the police officers now will answer Mulder and say, she ran out in front of me. And that's a key point. Let's, let's just kind of be clear with that a moment. Wasn't Peggy O'Dell in a wheelchair? And so this is going to cause Mulder and Scully to really be like, what the hell is going on? Scully is going to be examining the dead body on the ground. And when she looks at Peggy's watch, it says 9.03, the exact same moment in time that Mulder says they lost nine minutes. And so there's a lot going on here. Eventually, Mulder is going to walk over to Scully and say, we got to get out of here. And he looks really, really fucking pissed. And Mulder tells her that someone has trashed the autopsy bay in the lab. They stole the body. And everything is gone. So they're going to go back to the hotel. They have to get what's left of all the information and all the evidence that they've compiled so far. So now we start to get to the point of an X-Files episode where everything that they have uncovered is going to start to be rolled back. And this is where Mulder usually oftentimes in the X-Files starts to see the powers that be fighting back. In the very, very, very next scene, Mulder and Scully will get back to their hotel. And again, we continue the rollback. What do I mean by that? The entire hotel is on fire. The evidence that they've compiled has all now been completely and utterly destroyed. So as the hotel is on fire and Mulder is pissed off and Scully is kind of in disbelief, we see Teresa Neiman, again, the same girl that was with her father, the doctor, as they kind of confronted Mulder and Scully at the cemetery in one of our earlier scenes, is there at the hotel. And she goes up to Mulder and Scully and says, you have to protect me. And so Mulder and Scully look at each other and Mulder looks at her and says, come with us. And so in the very, very next scene, we're going to be at a diner and we're going to see Mulder and Scully talking to Teresa, asking her for information. And Teresa is going to be telling them when this all started happening and that she was in the woods at one point. She doesn't know why she was there. She can't explain it. She's been getting drawn to the woods, just like her friends, because what we also are finding out is Teresa was friends with all of these other victims. And so she explains to Mulder and Scully that she's been kind of being drawn to the woods by some sort of force and that she is terrified that she's going to die like Peggy did. And then while she's kind of talking about this, we see Teresa's nose starts to bleed just like Peggy O'Dell's had done. And it's almost like at the exact same time, her father walks in as well as Detective Miles. Detective Miles, and if we have the other character of Billy Miles, that's his father. And so we now see that the two main kind of culprit men that have been looked at with some skepticism in this episode are both parents fathers of two individuals who are part of a group where most of them have become victims. And this is one of those moments in this episode where all the evidence, all the information is now coming into perspective. Mulder and Scully are starting to put things absolutely together.
Detective Miles will have Teresa come with them. They tell Mulder and Scully to leave this all alone. And eventually they leave and Mulder and Scully will be quite concerned. Why would they take the, the corpse? Why would they do all this? That evidence is starting to disappear. That there is so much going on. So it's at this point where Mulder will look at Scully and say, it makes you wonder what's in those other two graves. So the very next scene is an essential scene. And I know I've said that before. Most of the scenes are essential. But no, this is the scene where things start to really heat up in this episode. We are going to see Mulder and Scully in the rain once again. Again, the use of rain, the use of light and dark. Again, the cinematography, the dialogue, the direction. It's all outstanding, especially and it all kind of comes to a head in this scene as well. As we see Mulder and Scully in the cemetery and they look and they discover that all the other graves have been dug up and the bodies are gone. And so we see Scully is so confused. Mulder is pissed. And then he kind of drops a dime though in this moment. We get a close-up of Mulder and he says, I think I know who did it. I think I know who killed Karen Swenson. And so Scully asks, is it the detective? And Mulder responds, no, it's the detective's son. Billy Miles. And so there's this moment by which, again, we're going back and forth with Mulder and Scully in this moment. The, the rain is really loud. And so they're kind of screaming over the rain, their dialogue, but it's believable. The music is eerie. And she's like, Billy Miles, the boy who's been in a coma for four years. He got out here, dug up these graves. He killed Karen Swenson. He's done all of these things. Are you kidding me? Mulder is explaining to Scully in this moment that, hey, listen, Peggy O'Dell was bound to a wheelchair, but she got up, ran in front of a truck and is now dead. Scully, for her part, is kind of smiling. She's almost laughing. And Mulder starts to get a little bit pissed. He's like, you think I'm crazy, don't you? In many ways, Mulder just really wants Scully to not necessarily fully have to believe him, but to just trust him enough to kind of see where this line of questioning brings them. Scully is kind of, for her part, looking down, reflective. And so Mulder had turned around, he kind of walking around. They're still in the cemetery at this moment. Mulder looks at her and says, what are you thinking? And Scully says, Peggy O'Dell's watch stopped a couple minutes after nine. This in many ways is showing that Scully is considering it, or at least offering Mulder evidence to support or substantiate some of the things that he is saying. And I love how the camera is capturing Scully in this moment. While she's telling Mulder this, we're looking over the shoulder of Mulder. He's walking towards her and we're following. Again, the light is great. The music's really eerie. And the powerful dialogue just establishes that Mulder might not be completely wrong. He might not be completely right, but that they are at least coming together in some capacity. Ultimately, what Mulder is saying that there's something going on that is bringing these kids back to the woods. Something is summoning them to the woods, just like they, it summoned Teresa Neiman. And it's at that moment where Mulder says, yeah, but Billy Miles is the one that took her there. Summoned by an alien impulse? Maybe. The best part is, is that when Mulder says that he is really thinking that an alien force is summoning these people there and it's doing it through Billy Miles, Scully just kind of laughs and her laugh is almost the kind of laugh of an individual who cannot believe that they are considering what the other individual is saying. And eventually in the next scene, they're going to go see Billy Miles because again, if Mulder is arguing that in some capacity, this individual in a coma is getting up from his coma, killing these people, bringing these people to the woods, and he is in many ways a vessel for the aliens doing it, then they need to investigate this further. And so when they are at the hospital now and looking at Billy Miles, who's still slaying there in a coma, and so what we find out though in this moment is that Billy Miles' feet are dirty. After seeing this, Scully is starting to really become a believer in what Mulder is saying. 
Maybe not completely, but she believes it enough to leave the room rapidly. She starts to believe, not in the alien piece, but that Billy Miles is in some capacity responsible for the death of Peggy O'Dell and possibly responsible for other deaths that have taken place, or at least in some capacity getting these kids to go to the woods. As they're walking in the hospital at this moment, Scully's going to hold up a bag and she has a resin similar to what she had found in the woods that she says she just took off the feet of Billy Miles. And so therefore she has now evidence that can connect what is taking place in the woods to his feet. And so therefore he was there. Mulder and Scully are starting to put it together. And so they want to go back to the woods to see if they can find more evidence. We will start to see in the next scene, Mulder and Scully will go back to the woods to do some more of their investigation. And, and upon arriving to the woods, they see Detective Miles' van. And then almost immediately, we hear a woman scream. And so Mulder and Scully start running off on foot and eventually they're going to split up. And then almost all of the sudden, we see Scully get nailed in the head by the butt of a gun by Detective Miles. She falls down. Miles looks down and says, you wouldn't listen to me. I told you to stay out of this. And then he runs off. Eventually, Mulder is going to be running through the woods. He's going to trip on a root of a tree. He's going to fall down. And eventually, he, standing over him will also be Detective Miles. He tells him to get out of here. He has no business being here. And this is the confrontation by which Mulder starts to say, I get it now. So Mulder accuses Detective Miles of knowing that his son, Billy Miles, has been doing this the entire time. Detective Miles will run off and Mulder will follow. And in the very next scene, we see Teresa Neiman. The wind is blowing. We see the leaves moving just like we had seen in the very first scene. As we see standing over her is Billy Miles. And so Detective Miles seemingly at this moment has had a change of heart and is now listening to Mulder because he takes his shotgun and he is pointing it at his son, telling him not to do what he's doing. And I love that the camera is focusing on this from all different scenes. We're getting a little bit of Mulder, a little bit of Detective Miles. We're also seeing Teresa as well as Billy Miles as that kind of scene. We see the kind of glowing light is taking place. Because Billy Miles had kind of come from the hospital, he doesn't have a shirt on and Mulder is recognizing and noticing on his lower back, he also has the marks. As this is all taking place, the glowing light is getting brighter here and we have some really eerie sounds and music and everything is very disorienting. And then eventually a ba-boom, almost like a thunderclap. Something happens and then everything is still. The light is gone. Billy seems different. He does not look like the exact same person who was just standing over Teresa. And what Mulder sees is that on his lower back, the bumps are gone. There really is a lot to like about that scene. Again, at least Teresa is fine. Billy seems to be who he always was. He's no longer in a coma any longer. He no longer has those bumps. So maybe he is no longer connected or commanded by the powers that be in Mulder's mind, the aliens. Maybe they have released him. Something has happened in that shining bright light that has now changed the trajectory. And so Mulder at this moment does realize though that Scully's not there. And so he goes looking for her. <laughs> she was not there for all of the event that took place. Place. When Mulder does catch up with her, Scully asks him what happened and says there was a light, but what, what, what took place? And Mulder just responds by saying, it was incredible. He just looks at peace in that moment. There's much more pause in that moment than anything else because 
Nothing needs to be said. There doesn't even need to be music. There's beauty in that and it creates a perfect X-Files scene. And most scenes are like that. Not all scenes are perfect, but oh my goodness, does this pilot not have some of the most perfect, perfect scenes. And so in the very next scene though, we're going to be back at FBI headquarters in Washington, DC. We're going to see a doctor asking Billy to tell him about the light. Um, they're going through a process of, I would argue, of hypnosis. They're trying to find out and gain more information of what Billy has experienced. What we're seeing is in that room, we see the doctor talking to Billy. We see Mulder is in that room. He's next to a huge mirror. And then eventually the camera will pan to the other side of that mirror. And on the other side of the mirror is Scott Blevins. We have the cigarette smoking man. We have another man and we have Scully. So the four of them watching as this interview takes place. But I love that we do not see the cigarette smoking man at first. We only see the other three. And so I love that it, the camera pans around the three and then eventually as it, we see Mulder on the other side of the glass, we have the cigarette smoking man literally standing on his side of the glass almost right next to Mulder. I mean, the imagery is absolute perfection. But another part of the scene that I do like is as Billy goes on to talk about the fact the light told him to gather everyone in the forest so that they could do more tests, he points to his head and saying that they put something in his head. And so this is a clear connection that he, like everyone else, has something in implanted in his head. And so I love that clear connection. Everything that has taken place in this entire episode and even the information that they found, even all the evidence that has been destroyed is bringing us to this moment. But I love that as Billy starts crying, we see the cigarette smoking man come over to Blevin, whisper something in his ear, and then each one of them all start to file out one by one with Scully being the last one in that room and she looks towards the glass looking at Mulder and then Mulder turns around and looks at the glass. Now she knows he can't see her but he is looking directly at her and so there is a real connection. So eventually as Scully leaves it will bring us into our last major major scene and that is a conversation between Dana Scully and Scott Blevin in his office. What we've just witnessed what we've read in your field reports. The scientific basis and credibility just seem wholly unsupportable. You're aware of that? Yes, sir. My reports are personal and subjective. I don't think I've gone so far as to draw any conclusion about what I've seen. Or haven't seen. This uh, time loss, you did or did not experience it? I can't substantiate it, no. What exactly can you substantiate, Agent Scully? I see no evidence that justifies the legitimacy of these investigations. There were, of course, crimes committed. Yes, but how do you prosecute a case like this? With testimony given under hypnosis from a boy who claims that he was given orders from some alien force through an implant in his nose. You have no physical evidence. This is the object described by Billy Miles as a communication device. I removed it from the exhumed body. I kept it in my pocket. It was the only piece of evidence not destroyed in the fire. I ran a lab test on it. The material could not be identified. Agent Mulder. Agent Mulder believes we are not alone. Thank you, Agent Scully. That'll be all. 
damn, I love that scene because I think Scully in her own way is pretty much saying, I'm going to do what you ask. I'll take notes. I'll, I'll, I'll watch what Mulder is doing with the X-Files, but I am not completely going to be your pawn. And so I love that kind of back and forth. And I love that she kind of has that mic drop moment where she presents him with that device that she had uh, uncovered from the body of Soames at the beginning of the episode. That was the only thing not destroyed in the fire in the hotel. So we got a lot of things being teed up in this pilot episode and in this scene. And so I love when Scully leaves the office at that moment, she walks by the cigarette smoking man. He walks by her and then eventually goes into Blevins office to have a conversation. This episode of the X-Files ends with absolute perfection. There will be no dialogue, but we will be focusing on the cigarette smoking man walking down a long hallway. It's intense. The music is fantastic. And on either side of him are rows upon rows of shells containing tons and tons of boxes. He eventually comes to one, pulls it out. It's holding, in many ways, a bunch of vials. And inside these vials are all of those little devices. The exact same type of device that Scully had just given Blevins that was taken out of the cranium of the Soames. It's so fascinating because we see like five or six of them. This is part of the government conspiracy arc of the X-Files. We're seeing from below the cigarette smoking man as he's looking at the vials and he's putting it with the others putting it in the box, and then he walks away. He walks down the hallway, and I love that as he starts to walk down the hallway, we're now at a high position. As he's walking towards the camera, we're lowering ourselves to get right in front of him. We kind of follow him from the front as he walks further and further and further away from where he just was, and eventually he leaves the room, closes the door, but the camera stays on the door as the cigarette-smoking man closes it, and walks away. And on that door, it reads, in case of fire or emergency, know your exits. Pentagon, evacuation procedure. This has to become one of my favorite cigarette smoking man moments. It is, it tells you everything about him. This is one of the most famous scenes in all the X-Files. Oh my goodness, this might be one of the most satisfying rewatches that I have had so far during the course of this podcast. If you're going to focus on your favorite show, you focus on the pilot because it establishes all the ground. But there is so much ground that is established here. It's a lot to uncover. It's a lot to kind of unload. It's a lot to kind of sift through. I mean, I think that you all understand my love of this show by this point. You know, pilots can be difficult and pilots for what I can only describe as a major, major series like the X-Files had to have been mammoth. You had something really special here. You had a dynamic of characters that really, it worked. It was interesting. And a villain like the cigarette smoking man who by saying nothing the entire episode spoke volumes. So that wraps up this episode of Must Rewatch TV. And I do hope you enjoyed this discussion of the classic Fox series, The X-Files, and the pilot episode that started it all. But as always, I want to hear your thoughts. If you feel so inclined, please leave a comment. You can get in touch with me at mustrewatchtvz at gmail.com or on Instagram and threads at mustrewatchtvz. Let me know what you think about this episode from The X-Files. This pilot was a game changer for me when I was younger. It introduced me to a show that I would never be able to shake, nor would I want to. What is your favorite episode from The X-Files? 
don't forget to show the love and support by subscribing to the podcast and get notified of every new episode as soon as it drops. Join me next time and save me a spot at the bubbler as I rewatch and then discuss some wicked awesome TV.